Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. We're the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. It'd be weird if we weren't. Yeah, like, <laughs> we're uh, we're off mic just listening to two fucking assholes do our show for us <laughs> in the off season. That's what we should be doing. It's interns time, right? Yeah. Summer internship at, uh, at Greatest Discovery. That'd be awesome. I bet Rob would do a real nice job if we just gave him the, uh, gave him the reins. Rob's a total professional. I, what, what makes me feel bad about even putting this out into the ether is that like a fair number of our viewers would, would probably prefer that. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Hosts with talent and yeah. uh, interesting things to say. You mean, you mean you have a professional producing your show and not on mic? <laughs> What a what a terrible way to deploy your resources. Uh, we read a comic book for today, Adam. Yeah, we sure did, because uh, when we read the first two issues of Star Trek Discovery Succession, uh, they had been out for a while, and then we had to kind of wait for the third issue to come out, and that issue came out uh, just last month. I was reading a little interview with Mike Johnson and Kristen Bayer. Bayer? Mm-hmm who wrote these and uh, I didn't realize that uh, Kristen Bayer was in the writer's room on disco yeah I, I can't believe uh, maybe I did know that and I forgot it but I was reading this uh, this interview and like because they did the um, they did an earlier comic series which maybe mm-hmm. should have been the one we started with called The Light right. of Kalos uh-huh. uh, that's all about Takuvma and oh. um like this interview that I read on Den of Geek, she's talking about like, yeah, like there was crosstalk in both directions on this Light of uh, Kalis story where backstory that they came up with for Takuvma for purposes of comic book wound up in the show. What? Yeah. And it's very unusual that that would ever happen because usually these these ancillary media properties are just... You know, they're just like fringe cash to, you know, for the media companies to profit off of their IP, you know. They don't think right. of it as like where the creative is happening. With a creative job like this, often you are made to sign a contract that any ideas that, that happen in the room belong to the room and right. the project. So it's like the the joke that I was going to make is like Kirsten Bayer's in the writer's room, like... <laughs> shooting down other people's ideas so that she could take them to the comic like yeah that'd never work on an episode it's it's too expensive yeah she wrote the episode civis possum parabellum which i think is the one where they're running around in the forest and uh oh uh, yeah that's uh seru gets uh gets, that's horsey seru yeah he, he does a couple of lines of blue powder <laughs> gets yeah. real fucked up yeah, he's jacked up on that horsey sauce. <laughs> uh, and then there's this other new one that just came out that's more graphic novel-y in length. It's a, it's all about Stamets and how, like how he discovered the mycelial network and how he met uh, Hugh Culber and stuff. Like it's it's a, a big Stamets backstory. Oh, we should do that one too, but that one's like 50 pages, right? It's a big long one, yeah. 
think we could I think we could take that down in an episode. Yeah. Speaking of being jacked up, Ben, uh, <laughs> did I tell you that I, when I was at Roderick's place, I had instant coffee for the first time I think ever? Whoa. <laughs> he's really. Str- <laughs> he is. Uh, he's he's struggling in a way that that is like ripe for comedy because like, <laughs> he he has three different broken coffee makers on his kitchen counter. He's and he he's, finally he's he's becoming so self parodic. Yeah, <laughs> like nothing surprises me anymore when I'm over there. And he's like, uh, "Hey, can I get you some coffee?" I'm like, "Sure." And then he busts out the like glass jar of uh, of instant coffee, and I'm like, "What the hell is that, man?" Like Folgers just... Crystals style. It was not a brand that I recognized. Wow. And he was like, "Yeah, I uh, I took this out of my bunker stash, like <laughs> the uh, like the stash of food that I keep in case the world goes to hell." <laughs> You just, <laughs> of course it is. Uh huh. So we have this bunker coffee, and he's like, "Hey man, uh, watch out for this stuff. It's really strong." And I'm not believing this for a second because how strong can instant coffee be? Yeah. the The answer, Ben, is stronger than any nitro cold brew I've ever had. Whoa! It did you propel yourself home up. on on ass juice? <laughs> I my hands didn't stop shaking until like five or six in the evening (laughs) and i had maybe three quarters of a cup uh (laughs) what i'm trying to say is like maybe we should start rethinking instant coffee like there should be instant coffee bars around jeez i uh if what you need is the juice yeah the energy i think instant coffee might be where it's at and it's not five dollars a cup like like i've been getting it yeah, I guess uh, so. So what you're saying is all the like fancy, hipstery, super freshly roasted coffee that I've been consuming might have been stepped on with baby laxative to uh, mitigate its effects somewhat. That's and what I'm saying. And this is the pure, like, uncut shit. Yeah, what you want is crystals, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> what you want is crystals and a stay fresh, like uh, like like foil liner to yeah. open. That's how you know it's the good stuff. So we're up earlier than normal. We I, you, we typically don't go for a recording time before 10 a.m., but because no. uh, you, you've got a lot of travel coming up, we're, we've got a lot of uh, we've got a lot of runway that we need to build in order yeah. to cover that, and uh, we're squeezing this one in at a 9 a.m. record. Yeah. And like my body is so out of whack that like this coffee talk is is really confusing me <laughs> yeah it sounds it sounds great but also i had my coffee earlier than i normally do because i got up earlier than i normally do to get ready for this uh-huh. and uh i also had my big anniversary dinner last night and yeah, congratulations uh, and like i didn't really like hit hit the bottle that hard i, I didn't i didn't <laughs> drink that many drinks i think i had three alcohol beverages over the course of the evening that's but, totally reasonable on a on a wednesday night yeah but i like i woke up and i'm like not totally positive that i'm not sick or something you know oh. i'm in that liminal state <laughs> you doing the show over a bucket uh-huh. yeah I, I cut a hole in my office chair just in case god ben i uh I fear the bucket show that I know is coming for me down the road. Just at some point in the future, it's inevitable. Like, I, uh, I, 
I'm glad that we get a modesty tablecloth at every live show because eventually <laughs> you're really going to need that. Oh, man. We had a... Uh, so we we went out to this restaurant and uh, had a nice dinner and then decided to go to a nearby rooftop bar to enjoy mm. a little al fresco cocktail. And uh, it was... It was not t- terribly crowded, but crowded enough that we had to like go sit at some seats that were like pretty close to some other people. And oh, you hate that, don't you? I was having like a pretty like heartfelt conversation with my wife of three years, and this girl next to us has apparently been just overhearing our entire conversation and leans over to us and says, "Dude, you are totally blowing it. She's not into you." What the fuck? <laughs> I was like, I was like uh, we're on our third anniversary date. I don't think you know what you're what you're overhearing. <laughs> and my wife jumped in and and uh, you know defended my honor a little bit. I, I was about to go fairly nuclear on this on this lady. Oh, and. You would have had every right to. Oh my god! Yeah, and I think she was like really embarrassed, but like that's our new that's our new code for we're feeling close and romantic with each other. Is dude, you are totally blowing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that lady was a, a a real dope, but she gave us a beautiful gift. <laughs> wow! What did she like? What was her reaction to being wrong? She shut up, and and then like I realized like her the the gentleman that she was with had like gone away and had been gone for like twenty minutes at the point where she leaned over. So then like my my conversation with my wife continued, and she got on the phone to go like, "Where are you? Like, where did you go?" Because it was like a fairly large establishment, and I guess he just disappeared off to some other part of it. So she well, was he probably... probably ran away from, <laughs> from someone who would do that. Jeez. Yeah, I think uh, I think she had a, a pretty honest misunderstanding. But uh, misunderstand all you want. Don't lean into somebody's conversation. Like, what is the upside? Like, even if we were on a like a Tinder date or whatever, what's the upside of that? Did she think that she was like being a hero and like? Saving your wife yeah, from... Like, don't worry, lady. I'll cock block this guy for you. Jeez. I can't... Wow. <laughs> Great restraint by you, because I... In that position, I honestly don't know how bad it could have gotten, but I imagine it could have gotten extremely bad. I Yeah, well, I was partly constrained by not wanting to ruin the moment and partly constrained by like the crippling amounts of anxiety I feel in situations like that to uh, shut down and and withdraw into myself. (laughs) And I never want to make a scene. Like if I have made a scene, it means I am out of control. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty wild little, little, uh, (laughs) little evening there. And, uh, we'll see if, uh, if my belly survives it today. Wow. Well, we'll see if anyone survives the third issue of the Star Trek Discovery Succession series as we turn the page of our show to Star Trek Discovery Succession, issue three. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Klingons.
how much backstory did you have to like go go through to remind yourself? Because I I felt like I didn't remember the story up till now as well as I would have if I'd watched this on television. I think one of the things that this comic book series does pretty well is not like it does not beg you to go back and reread. It doesn't do a last time on Star Trek Discovery recap. Right. But the initial scenes of the comic bring you back up to speed and and remind you via breadcrumbs. Where we last left the series, Arium had taken command of the Shenzhou by gassing the bridge crew. Yeah, her face turned into a gas mask. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Michael Burnham was thought to be dead, but instead is very much alive and is on Kronos working with Lorel and the Resistance. And uh, Alexander has ascended to the throne and is now the ruler of the Terran Empire. He's the fuckboy. <laughs> fuckboy emperor. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, but he, and he's like the actual, like the genetic descendant of Giorgio, but was not, was not first in line, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's like the Francis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Francis Buxton. Yeah. Did, uh, you did believe they... me, don't you, Emperor Giorgio? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did like the scene in uh, in issue two where he was in his giant bathtub with all right. his really fancy <laughs> bathtub toys. <laughs> and Michael Burnham burst in through the door and jumped through the air and tackled. <laughs> what a great set piece that was. God. There's so many amazing ideas in that movie. Like every idea is so top notch. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of swimming pool as bathtub really appealed to me at that age. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So decadent. <laughs> Do you have to drain that thing after you bathe? God. Ugh, I mean, you must. I mean, that would be gross. <laughs> yeah. But this is Southern California. You can't just dump that much water. Maybe it's a saltwater bathtub, and uh, and it's got, like, top-notch filtration. Or maybe Francis and his family are, like, really groovy and, and reusy, and they have a gray water system, and they use that to, like, water their plants or something. That's one thing I... I I assumed about the Buxtons was how <laughs> how groovy and earth friendly they were. <laughs> they gave up they gave up plastic drinking straws way before the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> My father says everything's negotiable. So this this first scene is kind of a flashback and it is Emperor Giorgio receiving word that uh Michael Burnham has has perished. She's like She's standing around with all her metal breastplate buddies, telling them like she she wants to hunt and kill Lorca, and she basically wants him brought before her alive so that she can get the satisfaction of doing the deed. And to the extent that like she'll she'll be murderously pissed at somebody who kills him in attempting to apprehend him. And uh, Mirror Bob is is trying to make herself into a good soldier. She's like, oh yeah. Absolutely, Emperor. Uh, I'll I'll get the man and bring him to you. And uh, this is not something that Giorgio is willing to believe wholeheartedly because even in the Mirror Universe, Bob and Lorca were pretty close. Yeah. They are interrupted by a bold man bearing bad news who tells uh, his liege, Emperor Giorgio, that uh, Michael Burnham perished in attempting to apprehend Lorca. 
This is a really nice sequence in the comic. Like they do a three panel triptych of like close up on Giorgio telling everyone to leave and then everyone leaves and then she just kind of crumbles to the ground in grief. Yeah. I like it when comics do that, that like the the passage of time like that. Yeah. And this is a, a character whose emotional inner life we don't get much of. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is a character that we meet in in the t- television show. So we, you know, we know what she's about. And to, to see a moment of extreme vulnerability like this is pretty interesting and, and, uh, and I think really nicely drawn. Doesn't seem like she'd be capable of this as the version of her that we get on the show. You know, like she's maybe, always with other people, feelings, though. You know, like this yeah. is this is a a private moment, and I mean, yeah. I don't think we got any of those in the in the television series. Not a lot of privacy on disco. No. So, do we know? I the thing I couldn't remember is: do we know? Have we ever met Mirror Universe Michael Burnham, or do we know like what what made them think she died? I don't know if that's totally clear to us at this point okay that's uh that's reassuring because that was kind of my memory of it but i was like yeah. i uh i was like oh, i feel like there, there's a small chance that there's some information that i'm forgetting that right that would make this clearer especially because that situation is used so much as as uh, as cover right for these activities the death of Lorca and the death of burnham uh both have like major impact in both the television series and the comics. So yeah, I'm sure we'll get tweets if we're wrong. About that. <laughs> so we flash forward to the present and, uh, emperor Fuckboy is pissed, uh, because he's talk he's having a FaceTime with the governor of Kronos and he's pissed because the governor left the planet after seeing Michael Burnham without killing her. Yeah. I, <laughs> I like this uh, This communication technology is a new, different thing from what they show in the show. Yeah. You know, in the show, everybody's like a hologram that's able to walk around the room and, like, sit on a couch that's really there. Mm-hmm. So, presumably, they're in a some kind of holographic space that provides analogous furniture to the <laughs> room that they're beaming into. I love that uh, that modern furniture store that you just created. Uh, <laughs> analogous furniture. Yeah. <laughs> Super uncomfortable, but God, really really makes a room look bigger. Mm, the elegant lines and uh it's it's very form over function. That's the problem. <laughs> um but this Fuck you, Eames. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is the uh yeah, Charles and also Ray. <laughs> um, th- this communication technology is there's kind of like a pedestal with with the governor of Kronos kind of he is a hologram man but it's only his upper half and he kind of just fades into the pedestal there's a vibe to that that I can really get with like what that's uh, that's very subtle right yeah. in in prime universe there's freedom to move around during a FaceTime in mirror universe you are confined as you are confined uh in many other circumstances. Yeah, I like it. Um, the reason Fuckboy Emperor is pissed is that uh, the governor had an opportunity to kill Michael Burnham and left. And the governor's like, well, dude, like they're about to drop the genetic 
death bomb on on Kronos, and I really wanted to get out of there just in case it's not as finely tuned to Klingon DNA as as all that. And sounds reasonable. And, but he's like, he's like, well, I, I'll go back, I'll go back, I'll go, I'll go back and kill her right now. And he, and Emperor Fuckboy is like, no, don't bother. Like at this point, uh, she's going to be pretty easy to find. So yeah, the picture he paints verbally is super fucked up he's like yeah so she'll be the only survivor on a planet full of dead klingons shouldn't be an issue for the sensors to pick her up yeah plenty to eat though uh (laughs) so he uh he tells the captain of the ship that uh the governor beamed on to hey uh toss this guy in the agonizer booth and uh we'll catch up later all right yeah, that is uh, that is so much more forceful than just like slamming down the phone receiver to hang up on someone. Yeah, I, and I like the uh, the like getting pulled back out of the like hologram camera yeah. angle. <laughs> That's a good look. What does that look like? They, I, I wish they'd like given us one more panel to show him like disappearing, you know, just to see what that would look like. Yeah, I dig that move. It's like being pulled out of the confinement of of the FaceTime. Yeah. Scary stuff. What? 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 What's happening? Run! No! What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this? Down on Kronos, Michael, Burnham, and Laurel and the gang are finding the uh, the notes about what's about to happen in the governor's computer system and she's like yeah this is not gonna be pretty like y'all are about to die i guess that andorian guy wouldn't die right yeah the andorian would get to split the food with michael burnham (laughs) if they stayed and i guess also amanda grayson like they they'd be eating great all you can eat gah (laughs) it'd be like a real uh last man on earth uh situation down there (laughs) yeah they're just driving around all the uh, all the uh, the government cars and eating all their great food off of their fine china. Yeah, good times. And she's like, you know, she's saying, "We gotta go. We gotta get the fuck out of here." And uh, I think uh, this is like Laurel kind of losing her faith in Michael Burnham because their their agreement is to like Michael Burnham has to help kill the governor, and then Laurel will help kill the emperor, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they missed their opportunity to kill the governor. So uh, I guess Laurel is like, hey, uh, you know, I know you're talking about how everybody of my species is about to be wiped out. But what I'm really concerned with is that our contract is void. (laughs) This uh, makes for some great tension, too, when when two ostensible enemies need to team up to survive. Like there's all sorts of great stuff that can happen. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit like the uh, Mayquis storyline that we just were covering on uh, Greatest Generation, where Commander Sisko and Gul Dukat kind of temporarily find their goals in alignment and have to go motor around the galaxy together, pursuing a common a common cause. It's road trip time. Yeah. They want the same thing for very different reasons. In orbit, we, uh, we're in the Constellation Bridge where they're just about to release the gene weapon on Kronos. But, like, right as the F part of fire is being said... Did you uh, notice that this is Captain Decker? I did. Isn't that fun? 
He's one of the most decorated captains in Starfleet, according to Star Trek Discovery. He's on the list. He's on the yeah. He's on the on the uh, the big four that the computer tosses on screen. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's on the uh, he's on the Mount Star Trek more of captains. <laughs> Mount Trekmore. Yeah, that's uh, a better way to say it. Yeah the uh, the constellation is is in the midst of xenociding the Klingons when. They get lit up by the Shenzo. Like, what if the Borg ship had done this to uh, the Enterprise D right as Riker was about to fire? <laughs> like, they they rack into Riker's face. He's just about to say the word, and then they just cut to the exterior. <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody, cut that together. There's enough. Yeah. There's enough footage out there that you could make that. You could make yeah. that happen. Yeah, uh, there's cause and effect footage of the D being destroyed in a number of ways. Yeah, so uh, go ahead and avail yourself of it. I want to see that clip. They're pretty surprised, uh, but less so when Arium pops up on the screen and uh, she kind of villain monologues at them a bit. She villain monologues, but also like goes big in the view screen too, which I really like. Yeah, like the, she, uh, Her face fills it. Yeah, which is something that they did a lot early on in TNG like there's yeah. that great uh the first time they meet the Ferengi and the guy's like just against a white background and his face <laughs> is like almost entirely filling the view screen but but you don't see it that often so it's fun to like that's I think one of the fun parts about this comic is that they get to do some compositions that are impossible in television in the same way that styles change over the years uh, so too, like the the vanity of aliens has changed. <laughs> if you if you have lots of loaf and some big ears or something, maybe you don't want to be that close to the FaceTime camera. You don't want to reveal how latexy you are. But it's a real bad guy look to fill the frame. Yeah, classic move. Yeah, it's a uh, an obey giant kind of move. <laughs> <laughs> so. So Arium has her her peeps beam the gene weapon off of the US the ISS constellation and uh then they they target their nacelles and uh surprise attack complete RSVP Captain Willard Deckard Do you I mean is the constellation totally destroyed if if the nacelles are blown off um, I, I'm ready to believe that I think the implication is that the constellation she dead yeah, I think that has to be it. I mean, we've seen proof on a bunch of Star Trek series that, that once those nacelles are fucked with, they're very sensitive, Ben. I don't know if yeah. you know this. If you just roll a nacelle in, a, in your fingers, like, I think, I think you can tell a lot, a lot of things about it, one of, it, one of which is, is how sensitive they are. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to take a boot to the nacelle. That'll no. ruin your day. And and this, uh, this constellation is taking heavy fire straight to the nacelles, so... Yeah. I think I'm ready to believe you now that uh, RSVP, ISS Constellation. Yeah, although, you know, in this series, if you don't see somebody actually physically dead, you can never really trust that they're dead. So maybe Decker right. will come back. Yeah. On Kronos, uh, the gang is retreating. This is sort of like, this is uh, happening concurrently. It's, it's uh, Michael Burnham, Laurel, Amanda Grayson, and Cole. And uh, Cole's the guy at the TSA checkpoint that had a weapon in his bag, and <laughs> it does not go well at security, yeah. because he starts taking swings at Michael Burnham. Yeah, they're like, sir, would you like to drink that here? And uh, instead, he throws it at Michael Burnham. 
and yeah. uh, and uh, he means to he means to kill her for pretty like reasonable Klingon motivations. And Laurel is like, "Knock it off, idiot! We're working together right now." The breastplate does not appear to be axe-proof. No. Well, she is she wearing? Yeah, she's she is wearing that breastplate, isn't she? The breastplate and turtleneck combo. Yeah. It also, like, this was, like, one thing where I, I kept going back and forth from one page to the next, because it, like, it hits her kind of on the shoulder, it looks like, but then she's pulling it out of, like, her chest. Yeah. And I I felt like there was a little bit of a throwing knife continuity issue there. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a really nice comic book sound effect here for this moment. <laughs> I love comic book sound effects. You get a nice shuck. Yeah. And then when she pulls it out, slug. <laughs> slug. <laughs> this injury does not appear to affect her once she gets beamed up to the, yeah. the ship. Like, she is. It is not a bad knife through the chest wound, apparently. <laughs> no. No, it's not. Uh, Cole is like a. Uh, like a. Like a poor marksman, Cole keeps missing the target. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so we get Cole Laurel, Amanda Grayson, and Michael Burnham beamed up onto the ISS Shenzhou, where Arium and two fuckboy guards meet them. And uh, Cole takes every everything at face value because he's not privy to all of this all of this shit. Uh, but uh, it's it's kind of explained to him like this is all this is all part of the plan and Arium and uh, and Laurel had previously known each other so they uh, they've been like conspiring together and uh, Arium at some point gets called human she does not take kindly to that no that's a slur to her yeah so Cole is like. Well, if you guys are all working together, who are these fuckboys and why do they have weapons drawn on us? And Arium is like, oh, I can explain that. Yeah, by murdering them. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, phaser set to gore. And also, it's like a double beam phaser, too. Yeah, I like that part. She has that, like, squirt gun that squirts out the sides and, as well as the front. That was such a shitty squirt gun, though. Yeah. Like, on, on the rack, it looks like it's going to be the best thing. It's really going to level the squirt gun playing field. Yeah. You need to really be surrounded for that to hit anyone. <laughs> and at that point, it's like you're getting soaked. Yeah, and how often can you remember being surrounded by people with water guns? Like, it feels like a very, like, skirmishy, one-on-one guerrilla warfare situation. Right. Like, the the use case is that, like, you would <laughs> maybe, like, be like, you know, it's like a doors and corners thing where you're... you're right you're going to go around a corner and somebody's going to not think that you're onto them, but then you, but you can't aim those side sideways facing ones. No, you can't. You're better off just throwing a balloon around a corner. Yeah. That's what you, you, you gotta, uh, you gotta clear the room with some, some explosives. Ben, I was at a little kid's birthday party over the weekend. Oh, Adam, I thought that the court told you not to do that. This was uh, this was a kid that I knew, uh, <laughs> the the son of some good friends of ours. Uh-huh. He was turning four, and uh, and we were having it in this in this park, and uh, and like part of the idea was like water balloon fight. 
Yeah. He brought a big like laundry basket full of pre-filled water balloons. Oh, that's and, nice. And uh, and the parents were like, wear clothes you don't mind getting wet. Bring some towels. Like expect to get. It's sort of like the Disneyland warning. Like uh, you might get prepare. Yeah, you might get wet. You you will get, get wet. You might get soaked. Right. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm like rubbing my hands together like, oh, I haven't been in a water fight in forever. And this sounds like one I can win because it's a bunch of four year olds. (laughs) So we get there. Coming up next, uh, an old man taking a bath. Right. (laughs) So, uh, so they have, they have produced the water balloons. They are set down on the ground. The kids start going for the balloons. And the most surprising thing happened, Ben. They threw them at the ground what? They picked up balloons and threw them at the ground to make them explode because that was like, that was the impressive part. No one threw a balloon at anyone else. What? And we were like encouraging it. Like, no, that's not a water balloon fight. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> throw that balloon at, at your buddy. It wasn't a success unless somebody ends the night crying. <laughs> Yeah, and so instead it was like seeing how far they could throw the balloon, like grenades, and then like like watching them explode when they hit the ground. It was just, it was awful. It was the saddest scene. Is that a four-year-old thing or is that a kids these days thing? There was a, a mixed amount of ages. All these kids were great. I don't want to make it seem like uh, like it's a kids these days kind of story that I'm telling, <laughs> but I expected... Uh, I expected people to get soaked with water balloons, and that was not what these kids were interested in doing. Weird, right? Yeah, I don't understand it. I was uh, I was very close to starting shit myself, though, Ben. <laughs> like, I think what I would want to do w- would be to kind of play the instigator, like like throw water balloons that like kids don't see them coming and don't know who's doing it. Right. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I'm saying. But I didn't have the guts. Yeah. Like, there's like, nothing I'm, worse I'm, than getting scolded by a parent for like lennying the game. Especially because uh, my wife and I don't have kids and we're at this party. Like, yeah. there are a lot of kids and a lot of parents and very few uh, childless friends at this thing. Like, you don't want to be the childless friend instigating uh, the tears of a water balloon fight. <laughs> you leave that to an actual parent. My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone, to sense the coming of death. What? To sense the coming of death. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. 
That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This doesn't make any sense. I sense it coming down. None of it makes any sense. Sounds like nonsense to me. On the Shenzo, this gang that seems to be forming has kind of a hang, and uh, and Arium explains that this thing that the Emperor is pursuing is happening on all of these all of these planets in the known galaxy, and Doria is next, and like I think it's uh, it's Cole, right, that is like, what the fuck is like like the economic case for this is insane, like the Empire is only rich because it has slave labor on all these planets. Like, why Why would you take out all your slaves? And uh, Cole's utility in this story is important because he's asking all the questions we'd be asking. Right. Cole is us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and Michael Burnham is like, yeah, he's he's just a total, total ethnic cleanser, and that's the only logic he's pursuing. It, it doesn't make sense. It's... Like, no racism actually makes sense if you interrogate it long enough. Right. So, yeah, we see uh, we see the emperor, like, in a kind of post-coital situation, finding out that they still haven't heard anything from the constellation about how dead all the Klingons are. 
He's very, very angry about that. There's no way neither of those girls came, right? <laughs> he doesn't seem like a very giving lover. One of them is lying face down and has kind of like a dubstep haircut. Yeah, I, is that Detmer? I wasn't positive that was even a girl. Like, oh yeah, it could be Detmer. I thought it was Detmer. I liked the idea that maybe he's not, you know, he, he maybe he has like a, a more varietal sexual interest, but maybe that's just Detmer. I like the idea that he's just like a whale, like it's about quantity. Like, <laughs> like give me a pile. Just hey, uh, hey, Calvis, send a mixed pile to my bed. <laughs> <laughs> a uh, a frito misto, as the Italians would call it. <laughs> but uh, the Shenzo shows up not at Andoria or at uh, Gamaris Five, but at Earth. And uh, Arium kind of talks her way past the harbor master. She's like, "Yeah, we had some damage to our long range communications, and we need to we need to get fixed up before we go take out all the Gamaris Fivians. Uh, so uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna park it, and uh, this gang of five beam down to Earth and are greeted by Mirror Universe Bob." who is apparently also in on the on the dastardly plan. What do you think the hangout tea room is like in the mirror universe? Oh yeah, like San Francisco's greatest and perhaps oldest dim sum restaurant. I bet their dumplings suck. <laughs> yeah, I bet that steamed pork bow is no good. God, what a what a what a tragic place mirror universe San Francisco is. Yeah. Fascist San Francisco, which is like, you know, more and more the case every day. We uh, every time I every time I go to San Francisco, I'm more and more convinced that we're living in the mirror universe. But uh, oh no, the uh, the tenderloin is like the nicest part of San Francisco <laughs> in the mirror universe. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's a little of uh, there's no there there. It's not the city that I grew up near. There's no barrel drinks at Mirror Universe Smuggler's Cove. Oh, what a. T- what a shame. Right? The Mirror Universe uh, soup and kucha has terrible spetzel and no boot beer. <laughs> this is Adam and I doing bits at each other about restaurants that we have gone to together. What a great comedic vein to exploit. <laughs> terrible spetzel is, was the name of my high school band. <laughs> Well, anyways, so the the pretty obviously bad plan of okay, we're gonna we're gonna like Han and Chewie you, uh, <laughs> and take you before the emperor as prisoners, and then all the guards in there are loyal to me, uh, Mirror Universe Bob. So, <laughs> like, it's it's like the Walter Sobjek plan of I'm gonna grab I'm gonna grab the emperor and beat him to death, like. They, it's a real shit plan. It's it's a uh, it, it is not a Swiss fucking watch, and uh, and they <laughs> go in Timex. Yeah, they go in there, and uh, Grayson, the two Klingons, and Michael Burnham are you know kicked to their knees in front of Emperor Fuckboy, and he's he's delighted. He's uh, he's in a much better mood than he was in earlier. Michael Burnham spits in his face, and he's about to execute his his evil plan. He kills Amanda Grayson, right? I love that the order of operations here is like 
Mirror Universe Bob allows Amanda Grayson to be killed before like the plan goes in motion. Right. That is super rugged. It's fucked up. Like I I don't really know what the story utility of, of having her taken out is. Like I um, It makes me think there's some antipathy between Bob and Amanda Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like hoping that it plays like that. Like yeah. I don't know who yeah. he's gonna draw a knife on first, but uh yeah, I mean, it seems like he's just going to knife them all, right? Like, right. that's kind of where he's going. And uh, and he's, like, deciding deciding who, who next to kill. Bob gives the word. I guess uh, Laurel, like, headbutts him, and Bob gives the word, and he's like, ha, 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 ha. that's uh, not going to happen. These guys are actually, in fact, loyal to me, not you. Kind of makes uh, Captain Arium's decision to just kill as many people on her ship as possible smart. Yeah, like those two guards, I guess she, like she's listening to everybody. She has yeah. a total like panopticon level of surveillance on the Shenzhou. Yeah, she's got that thing that we saw uh, on that one Mirror Universe episode of TOS, right? What was that thing called? The Tantalus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess she kind of does have the Tantalus. Yeah. But it doesn't kill. It, there's, there's not a kill no. switch on. She just has she just has uh, total surveillance coverage, right? And uh, she is the last person we see in this issue. Like we we cut to orbit, and she's uh, messing around on her laptop with some uh, some DNA sequences, and uh, it it becomes clear that her plan is to xenocide not Kronos but Earth. Yeah. She's got a real axe to grind with these humans. She fucking hates them. I suppose it's possible that she has it... Like, you can tune this thing to kill any species, right? So it could be that mm-hmm. she's tuned it to kill somebody not humans. Like, are, are there enough Vulcans that doing that launching this on Earth would be like a, a thing or something like that? We just recently watched the movie Downfall for our other uh, hit show, Friendly Fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Captain Arium's decision to retune the genetic weapon towards human if this is what she's doing makes me wonder if a possible consequence to this is that they somehow get emperor fuckboy they attune the weapon to humans and he doesn't die because it turns out he is of impure racial oh, makeup shit. like i wonder if that uh, i wonder if the hypocrisy of Racial purity will be right. Uh, will be on display here. W slash R slash T, Emperor Fuckboy. Boy, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine that this xenocide everyone on Earth plan happens because yeah. we're also like we've we've watched our first Mirror Universe DS Nine episode already, mm-hmm. and the backstory is not everybody on Earth got killed at some point. Yeah, that would be a pretty significant retcon. The Empire is still a thing when Kirk and Spock meet the Mirror Universe. So right, right, and that hasn't ha- that's that it is even closer to this timeline. So right, I don't know. Hey, yeah. speaking of Kirk and Spock, I wanted to see if maybe for next episode of Greatest Discovery, we've done a little bit of our homework about the Mirror Universe, and that's a donor bonus episode. But we haven't done any homework on. Uh, the character of Harry Mudd, and I would kind of like... I think there's more than one TOS episode with that character. Oh, yeah? Do you want to watch one of thems? Yeah, I'm into that. Let's do it. What is the name of the episode that we're going to watch? Let's see. 
Mud's Women. There's Mud's Women and I Mud are the two Harry Mud episodes. Mm-hmm. And I guess Mud's Women is his first appearance in the canon. Okay. Uh, do you want to watch that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I, that sounds I, like fun. I predict that this will be astonishingly sexist. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's just my, I'm, I'm just going to toss that out there. We'll counterbalance that with uh, plenty of dick and fart jokes. Yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll soften the blow of uh, 1960s brand misogyny with our own 2018 brand poor ale fart humor. <laughs> That's us. <laughs> well, Ben, did you like this comic book? I did. I uh, I really like the art style and I like the storytelling and. Um, I'd say that, like, maybe if I have a criticism, it's that I don't care as much about people in the mirror universe. So the, you know, the goals of, of saving people and doing the right thing in the mirror universe feel less important in a yeah. way. And so I don't think that's the writer's fault, you know. I think they're doing a great job despite that. But that's a, a bias that I have and, mm-hmm. you know. Unfortunately, there's not a lot that can be done to undo that. Yeah. Did you like the issue? (laughs) I think I'm just generally more pro-mirror than you, both in real life and in the context of of a comic book. When you look in a mirror, you see something that's fairly easy on the eyes, and (laughs) I don't have that luxury, Adam. Check your mirror privilege. That's because you use a circus mirror for some reason, Ben. <laughs> Every time I stay over at your place, I'm telling you, you got to change that bathroom mirror. It's not flattering. <laughs> really helps you shave, though. Came with the rental. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. On the one level, I love reading comic books again, so that is helping uh, helping buoy my my feelings on this project. But I also like specifically... Uh, Issue three of the story. I think they did a good job with it. I'm, I, uh, God, the body count of this thing is really huge. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's like a uh, Pierce Brosnan era 007 film where just like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess 007 can kill 35 people in two weeks and it's like no big deal to him. Yeah. I'm just totally impressed by how well the characters are drawn. Like, it's, it's got to be so easy to draw caricatures instead of like the actual characters that we see that are that are screen detailed. Yeah, like and the the way the dialogue is written is really like true to the way they write it for the show. Yeah, the Giorgio dialogue especially you can definitely hear in her voice. I think the Sonequa Martin Green like imagery of her in every panel like it just looks so accurate. It looks so much like her. I just think that's great. Yeah. So I'm digging it. Looking forward to issue four. Is it, and issue four is the conclusion of this story arc, right? I think so. I think four is all we get. Well, looking forward to that. Looking forward to reading the rest of these comics, too. I'm, I'm really having fun with this. Uh, that being said, Ben, in your page flipping of issue three, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible! Drunk Shimoda! Oh, man. I forgot to... Look for a drunk Shimoda. I guess maybe if I if if I have to grab one close at hand, it's the little errand boy that that 
pokes his head into the emperor's uh-huh. fuck chamber. Uh, I think we even get his name. It's a uh, it's Calvus, uh-huh. <laughs> which uh, is is the world's shittiest Calvin. Uh, but uh, there's a bunch of uh, mirror universe shuttles with like bumper stickers of Calvus peeing on <laughs> on like the Klingon symbol. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a, a weird subgenre of Calvus praying to a giant cross. <laughs> Just like, did you ever read that comic strip? That's not what Calvus is about. But uh, I like that. Uh, I like that he has the little sotto voce lunatic that he, yeah. he, he calls uh, Emperor Fuckboy a lunatic after he has closed the doors. And uh, yeah. nice bit of dissent there. Yeah, I, you got to be kind of brave to utter that out loud, even after the doors are closed in this universe, I feel like. and uh, Yeah, because the, the cameras and the microphones are everywhere. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I think Calvis is my drunk Shimoda. How about you? I thought a lot about the moment when the uh, group of four are put down on their knees and, and Michael Burnham is able to spit up into the face of Emperor Fuckboy. Yeah, that's a... The arc of the spit is... Almost, it's almost flat. Yeah, it's like a laser of spit. <laughs> I have never been a good spitter. And I, like, growing up, I had always envied the good spitters, those who could, like, form a good spit and then, like, get it to go exactly where they want it to. Like, like when I spit, I'm just, like, spraying spit. I Yeah, like, there's a, a weird part of adolescence where you see dudes walking around spitting all over the place, and you're like, yeah, cool, I want to be like that guy. <laughs> uh-huh. But me, like, if I were to, like, lean down and spit, I would, like, spit all over my shirt. <laughs> and that, I don't know if I need to tell you, is not cool. <laughs> nobody, nobody sees you drooling on yourself and goes, cool, I want to be like yeah. that guy. Yeah, not cool. And so I was so impressed by Michael Burnham's spit, both in like that she was able to gather it in a way that that like could could specifically like target his cheek. Yeah. And also like with the force of it, because that patu, that's a forceful comic book sound and uh, and the no arc on it, like it, it knocks his head back. It's yeah. like he was shot in the face. <laughs> it's like Superman spit at him. Yeah. I really dug that part. So, yeah. I mean, with nothing to lose, Michael Burnham gets off one last shot, and that's why she's my Shimoda. Nice move, Michael Shimoda. <laughs> well, we know what's coming up next. It's the fourth issue of uh, Star Trek Discovery Succession. That'll be the next comic book we read, but as we mentioned before, we'll be back at you next time uh, with an episode about uh, Mud's Women. Yeah. So if you feel like uh, watching that episode before we reconvene... I'd encourage you to do that. Yeah, you've been forewarned. Uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, thanks for continuing to listen to Greatest Discovery here in the off-season. Uh, we're having a ton of fun having a looser show with more kind of a more open format than we're accustomed to. and uh, It's a Star Trek sandbox. Yeah, a little, uh, little Star Trek sandbox that we get to play in. I was, I was trying to think, like, would it be possible to play, like, the collectible card game or anything? I mean, it's not, like, disco-themed, but, like, if we totally run out of shit to do, <laughs> could, could, we, could we board game over pod? Let me just say that uh, I hope production is on time. Because <laughs> if we get into, like, the fall and the winter and they're like, oh, we got to kick it back a year. Yeah. 
that could be uh yeah i mean that could be board game time yeah that, yeah so uh the the board game of damocles is hanging over this show yeah uh we will uh let rob take it from here Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte, and our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. Or you can leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen or GreatestDiscovery when tweeting about the show. See you next time. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.